So this morning, we are on week four of our um, The Real Jesus series. Now, it is our last week, which I am a little sad about because I really feel like this series has been good, but next week is VBS Sunday. If you weren't here last year for VBS Sunday, it was awesome. The whole stage is going to be modified to accommodate VBS, but we have these VBS invite cards. If you have not invited someone, maybe you have neighbors, maybe you have friends. If you have kids, you have kids you can invite because your kids know kids. We talked about how many, many kids have come to the knowledge of Jesus through VBS. You know, I had somebody this morning, pre-service prayer, was talking about that her, her grandkids have never heard about VBS. How do kids not know about VBS? It's just something that every child should have the privilege of knowing. Right? And if they don't know what it is, say they're going to have a great time, they're going to have food, they're going to have games, they're going to have music. It's going to be great. Just tell your mom you need to come. Get this in their parents' hand. On the back, there's a QR code. They can scan it. They can register. We'll know to expect them, and we're just going to have a great time. Okay? VBS, if you say, man, I haven't helped, signed up for help, and I'm sure Becky and those ladies and everyone involved can still use some room for help, so approach them, see where you can serve and get involved. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be on a Friday, Saturday, and it's going to conclude on Sunday. You say, Pastor Noe, why does it conclude on a Sunday? Because our hope is that the kids come and the parents come, and there's a mighty move of God unto salvation. It's not just to hype up the church, it's not just to entertain, but it is to allow them to experience the presence of God and be forever changed by it. Uh, so if, if I have prayer warriors in the house, start praying now for VBS. We know that everything bathed in prayer will succeed if we're not praying over it. I mean, not saying God can't work, but it often works better when it's been prayed over. So be thinking about VBS, be praying about VBS. If you haven't volunteered for VBS, get involved in that, and please help us invite for VBS. Get some of those cards. If you go to lunch today, you're going to run into kids. You know, I tell Becky, I'm like, hey, here's a card. She's like, I had my own, but I didn't know she had hers, right? So I encourage us, here's an invite card, here's an invite card. We love invite cards. You know why I like invite cards? Because they may set it on their table. They may forget about the invite, but yet they see the card right there. And at some point, you know, I've been super blessed about invitations that I've made a long time ago for people to visit the church or, or, or come to a church. And at some point, they remember that and decide to come. Some of them take a long time. Maybe some of them never come, but it's not going to be because of a lack of inviting. There's probably many of you in this room that have, a, have started coming or have come to church because of an invite. Right? Somebody told you somebody, you know, I always like to ask that question, hey, how did you hear about the church? How did, what, what, what brought you today of all days? Well, we believe that God is in the room. He's drawing hearts. He's up to a strategic plan that all men might be saved under righteousness. VBS is just one of the ways we do it. All right? We know worship is a way that we experience the presence of God. And, you know, through a message, I think, you know, we can even learn more about the nature of God and who he is. A lot of people say, well, I don't know God, or you know God better than I do. Sometimes, how do you learn who Jesus is? Who, how do you learn who God is by reading his word? Trusting that what his word says about him is true, not just what people say or who they say Jesus is, but really knowing the real Jesus. So this week four, the title of today's message is Don't Judge Me. How many of you have ever said that to someone? Don't judge me. Get out of my face. It's God's right to judge. You don't judge me, right? We, we, you know, that's something that's thrown around. If you're a church person talking to a 
non-church, that's the first man they'll pull out that don't judge me card every single time. And it's not so much that I'm judging you, it's just that I love you enough to tell you something that might radically change your life. So sometimes we have to change the perspective, but one of the things that I've learned, if People don't really care how much you say until they know how much you care. Make sure that your heart is driven by what you're saying and not just living a two-faced lifestyle, right? Where you're mean to them, you're cruel to them, and then all of a sudden you want to preach Christ to them. Let's be an example of Christ before we say anything. But if we look at this, don't judge me. You know, so um, I, I really think that this is something that is, is thrown around a lot. But in order for us to look at judgment, we have to understand the nature of Jesus. Who was he really like? Did he have the right to judge? Did he judge people? Or did he not judge people? Okay. So, how, But we have to realize that how we see Jesus, the perspective that we have of him, will determine what we think about him. If we believe Jesus is a kind Jesus that just kind of sits passively, lets us do what he wants, he's kind of cheering us on, but he's very passive, then we may say, well, no, Jesus doesn't judge. He loves everyone. Now, if we think that we're not going to be accountable for what we do and there's not a judgment coming or a God that will judge coming, some of you will live reckless lifestyles because there'll be no consequence for sin. There's going to be no repercussions for bad choices. And do you realize that there is a culture of young people today that do not want to be told what to do? They are not living by consequences. They, 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 don't, they don't get the consequences they deserve. Right? You can do what you want, but not suffer the consequences. Well, we have to realize that even though culture may be presenting that, you know, one of the other things that I've learned is, is young people feel like that they have a voice that is the equivalent with an adult or a teacher or a police officer or whatever it is that you feel like you, are, you have the right to share your opinion as an ignorant young one. Because I can say what I want. Well, you can say something that is absolutely false and true and you have no basis. Just because you think you're entitled to open your mouth doesn't mean you should. But there's this, there's this understanding of, well, I shouldn't be... You know, I was talking to someone just yesterday and, well, you don't understand. I said, oh, I know, I've under, I understand. And I, I was trying to explain that everybody has a boss. I mean, unless you start your own company and there's some way to weasel around it, everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss, good bosses or bad bosses. And, you know, this individual I was talking to was young, and then the other person said, you could work at McDonald's. Well, I ain't working at McDonald's. I was like, young, ignorant one. You don't start off at the top of a CEO company leading the thing. You start off with a job that you probably don't want, with a boss you don't like, for a company that doesn't really care about you, but you want to make money, and that's your only way to make money. It doesn't matter the position. It doesn't matter the individual. It says all authority has been placed by God in the earth. Now, sometimes those seasons of having horrible bosses will be the catalyst that will teach you to be a great boss. I've learned a lot of stuff by being around bosses that were horrible at it. And I said, don't do that, don't do that, and don't do that. Right? So we have to realize, though, that there's always a boss. We have to understand that what God has established are the rules. But just because we think doesn't mean that the reality of what's going to happen in the future is going to come to pass. And you may say this morning, don't judge me. Only God will judge me. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page because that's what it's all about today. That at the end of this life, there is going to be a judgment to come. Okay? So how we see Jesus, our perspective of him will determine 
what we think about him. So let's try to understand the nature of Jesus just a little bit more this morning. So I know that some of us this morning like to focus on Jesus with a whip. So what I'm talking about, this, this strong Jesus is one that flipped over the, the money changer's table, this one that was strict, he was law-driven, he was legalistic, he was a very hard God. All law, no grace. Some of us really, we live like that. You know, every, you know, I want to make sure that I'm dotting every single I, I'm crossing every T, that if you mess up once, you're a failure. Ah, oh, like this, this hard rigidness. But some, we want to look at Jesus with a whip sometimes, that he's this hard God, not full of grace and love. But really, he's both. And then some of us, maybe we want to focus on barefoot Jesus. Now stick with me just a little bit here. This is a, an idea of this hippie concept of Jesus where he was just cool about everything, walking through the garden. Everything was organic. Everything he did was hunky-dory, happy. Everything's good. It's just peace, bro. This is this, this, this idea of Jesus that he's just easygoing. Everything's good. Save the wells. Shop at Whole Foods. This perspective of, of Jesus, you know, just this, this barefoot Jesus, this one that serves and he's, he's kind, he's gentle. Well, what about action figure Jesus? This is the one that performs miracles and his power and turns, you know, water into wine and multiplies the fish. All of these things, these ideas of this. That's the one I kind of like that I look at. like, man, he was awesome. He was like a superhero. He could do all these things. He would heal. He would, he would confront the Pharisees and say, well, this is really what my father said, but it was really his father. So like you, this action figure Jesus, right? You know, this Jesus that had power, you know, and then there's others that maybe have this Santa Claus Jesus perspective. Oh, well, Lord, I know you got great gifts, and I want this, and I want that. Oh, and don't forget this one right here, that, that he's a Jesus, that he gives us everything we want, that he has all these gifts for us, and he just shows up with his big red bag and passes them out as I desire them. So we have all these perspectives of who Jesus is. You know, and it's sometimes, do you know that, guys, it's really hard to understand and imagine that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament? I read the Old Testament, I was like, man, I'm glad I don't serve that God. It's the same guy. Just to enlighten, you know, because I feel like when Jesus came, everything changed. He was a little bit more grace-oriented. He was cool. He was like, man, I like the God of the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, it seems like he was hard. He said, don't do that or you'll die. They did it. They died. I got tired of mankind. Just knocked out all of them and started all over. You know, it, to me, it's like, Lord, I'm so glad you're not like that anymore. It's not that he changed. It's just, I guess he gave us a tolerance card because he knew we were ignorant. He made promises that bound him not to create the same chaos that he created. So why has it not flooded to that capacity? Why has he not wiped out the face of the earth again? Because he said he wouldn't. There are things that God said that he will, re not, he will not retract those statements. But when God says it, it holds him. It, that's the only thing that will bound God is his word. But we have to understand that the God of the Old Testament, kind of Jesus with a whip, is the same God of the New Testament, which maybe is this action figure Jesus or this, you know, this barefoot Jesus. Or maybe even, hey, the Santa Claus Jesus that... Am I given to get? Am I in this because of the blessings and all the prosperity things maybe that I've believed? So we have to realize that 
We all have different understandings because we're looking at Jesus through different perspectives. Many people today, they have a perception of Jesus that if he was alive today, well, this is what Jesus would be doing. And I think we've done that. Well, he would be at, the, he would be at church on Sunday or he would be at the biggest church making the biggest influence. We don't know that. I have a feeling that Jesus might not be in the four walls of the church. If I were to hypothetically say, what would Jesus be doing? We know that his agenda and his motive was not to condemn necessarily, but to save that which was lost. We have to look at the nature of who Jesus was, what he was passionate about, what he desired. So we have to understand that there are many perspectives, but one of the most vacant perspectives, okay, and we're getting into the focus here, one of the most vacant perspectives of Jesus is that he will one day judge the whole world. So, whoa, whoa, I don't like where this is going, Pastor Noah. Let's go back and talk about barefoot Jesus. I like that guy. Or Santa Claus Jesus. But we're going to talk about how Jesus is going to judge the world. We'll have to give an account. So this is the one Jesus that no one wants to talk about. Most want Jesus that comforts, that protects, that affirms, that loves. Though he does all of those things, there's so much more about this real Jesus when we dig deeper. So will Jesus be our judge? Will he actually look at our lives and examine our lives and judge us? Now, many of us like to think, oh, no, Jesus loves me. He wouldn't do that. Hmm. We'll see if you stay on there for too long thinking about that. Some of us today, like I said, we just want the Santa Claus Jesus or the barefoot Jesus or the action figure Jesus or the Jesus that just fed people. We have to come to grips That yes, he created me, and yes, he loved me, but he's going to judge me, and we're going to have to give an account for our lives. Jesus will not judge you based on what someone else did, but he will judge you based on what you did or did not do. Don't look to your left and be like, you know, and I know moms, dads, we're guilty of this. We're looking at our kids, oh, God's going to, uh-huh. Mom and dad, stay in your lane. This is for you today. This is not to hold your kids accountable to something they're going to be accountable to. May God's grace be with them all the days of their life. But this is up to you today. But my kids, Lord. <laughs> but my mom. It's going to be you and God. You have to realize that. It's going to be based on what you did or didn't do. So one of culture's favorite verses, Matthew 7, 1, in the New Living Translation, do not judge others and you will not be judged. How many of you have ever heard this verse? How many of you heard this verse before you knew who Jesus was? Most, you know, most of the world, that's the number one. They don't, I mean, they might not even know John three sixteen, but they know don't judge others. This has been kind of the, the insecticide of Christians, right? You see a Christian come and they put a, don't judge me. That's just how it is, right? Don't judge me, you know, and, but it actually says, and you will not be judged. This is a command. This is an instruction. So everybody loves this verse, and you'll hear it often, don't judge others. But we have to understand the focus of Jesus' first mission on earth. Listen to this. This is a big deal. The focus of Jesus' first mission to the earth was actually not to judge, but to save. All right? So let's look at this passage, John 3, 17. It says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I'm not making it up. This is exactly what scripture says. He sent Jesus not to judge the world, but to save the world. So you can put your guard down. You can understand that the motive of Jesus here is not to judge, but it is to save. He has your best interest in mind. He cares about you. He created you with a purpose and a plan. He's not here to judge you yet. All right? 
So we have to realize that it is Jesus' responsibility to judge fairly. So let's look at John 5, 27. It says, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Okay, hold on, Noe. I thought you said he wasn't here to judge. I said the first time he came was not to judge. But when he comes back, he is going to be given all authority to judge everyone. Well, I thought that was just for the unbelievers. Oh, everyone is everyone. Okay, so we have to realize this is the picture of future Jesus. When he comes back, there is going to be a judge that is unbiased, that is fair, that is correct. And there's going to be like, well, you don't understand. No, there's none of that. He's going to filter out all that and he will judge with 100% accuracy. Let's look at Matthew 16, 27. It says, for the son of man will come with his angels in the glory of his father and will judge all people according to their mom's deeds, their brother's deeds. No, according to their deeds, what you did, you will be held accountable to what you did or didn't do. So we have to realize that these verses communicate that the first visit that Jesus had was to save everyone. But when he's coming back with all power of heaven, he will judge people according to their deeds, what you have done. What do, so what do you need to know? I don't want to just say, hey, he's going to come back to judge you. But what do you need to know in order to have a successful judgment? You know, because if I know what's coming and I know that I'm going to be judged, first I want to know the criteria. Well, what am I going to be judged for? What am I going to be judged about? But let's say God gave us the answer key. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever took a test, or done anything like that. But if, if you had a cheat sheet, would you use it? Man, all you honest people. Saying, no, man, I wouldn't do that. That's wrong. God has given us his cheat sheet in, in the word that tells us what to do. Okay, we'll look at that in just a minute. So we have to understand, first and foremost, that none of us are fit to judge because we're not capable or fit to judge because we're imperfect. We judge with partiality and bias that we don't even know that we have. And, you know, and I find our, myself even sometimes a mindset or I'll say something, I was like, that's not really Christ-centered in the way I'm thinking or the way I'm even saying that. And which we just have to realize that we're flawed and we're not positioned to judge. That is God's responsibility. But we are called to love people. And in lieu of loving people, I can tell you the truth of God's word in love, not in a judgment. Right? Because I'm looking at a lost soul, I'm not looking at your sin. That's my, that's my approach to it anyway. But the question we have to ask ourselves, but is Jesus really worthy to be judged? You know, Revelations chapter 5, 2 through 5, they had this same story. They said, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who can open it? Who can read it? And all heaven was weeping. They said, there is no one that can open the scroll. And then it says, then they saw the lamb who, which was Jesus Christ, and he was able to open the scroll. You know, it's this beautiful picture of he has the right to judge. He has the right because he was the perfect spotless lamb who first and foremost would take away all the sins of the world, but that he would also judge fairly. That all of it was given to him. Check that out if you get a chance. Revelations 5. But he, you have to realize that he sees perfectly and he is perfect. And if he sees perfectly and is perfect, if I'm going to be judged according to what I've done, I want him on my side, unless what I have done is wrong. Because then we realize we are going to be guilty for what we've done right, or we will be guilty for what we've done wrong. But somebody who judges fairly and perfectly, they're going to base it on what we did. 
And there ain't no hidden secrets of the heart that God doesn't see. Everything will be laid bare. So do you realize right now the world is crying out for justice? That's been a word that's been thrown. We want justice. We need justice. But do you know, I'm going to let you on in on a little secret. Jesus is the only one who can give true justice. Now, justice, it's not necessarily, a, you know, judgment is not necessarily a bad thing. But it can be if what we have done is unjust. But if what we have done is just, then we don't need to worry about the judgment. Okay? But we have to realize if we have been unjust and then we are judged fairly, judgment is a very scary thing. It's a very real thing. But we have to realize that if we are unjust, then the consequences are bad. But King Jesus, he will always judge with perfect fairness. We're not perfect, therefore incapable of judging justly. Only Jesus can do that. But we can trust Jesus with fair judgment. Can we agree on that? Now, we might not like that. We say, Pastor Noe, let's do that altar call thing because i got to get some things right real quick. And you may have squirmed me like, oh, no, I should have came forward. I should have confessed. What if he comes back right now? And everything we've done up to this point, not covered by the blood of Jesus, we're going to be held accountable for it. Man, I ain't got no amens out here. Y'all looking at me, it's like, can we go to lunch? <laughs> so what will Jesus say to us? What will he say to you? What will he say to me? What will Jesus be looking at when he returns? Like I said, the great news is that Jesus has given us a cheat sheet. Um, you know, I remember when I was at STP, whenever we do all of our annual tests, they couldn't give us a cheat sheet, but he had a way of saying, hey, this is what I would study, right? And then he'd go down the list, and I knew all I had to listen to was what he was talking about because pretty much he was giving me the answers without giving me the answers and without giving me a cheat sheet. But he, he told us everything that we needed well, and then it was funny because some of us had a hard time remembering it and they would say, okay, so we know this is the answer. Is there a letter next to that number? Well, I think it's C. Okay, next question. And he would move on, but he would actually give you the answer. So if you failed that test, it was your fault. You didn't pay attention. You had a cheat sheet. They gave you every answer. You just had to make sure that you answered correctly, right? So, it's, so when Jesus came to earth, he really gave us a cheat sheet in what he was going to expect, what he was going to require. So it's like mom inspecting your room. When she comes the first time, what does she say to you? Hey, when I come back next time, this, this, and this need to be in order. And then mom so graciously, or dad so graciously, leaves the scene and he goes away for a while. Now pity the fool. That when mom comes back, and little Jimmy right here, I'm not going to use Samuel. <laughs> I told him, I said, son, if you're in my message, I use you every week. So I'm going to call him little Jimmy this morning. But little Jimmy has not done what he is told and has been instructed to do. At that point, there's no more saving to do. <laughs> little Jimmy, I warned you. I gave you everything that you were supposed to do. It's a bad day for little Jimmy, right? Well, we don't want to be caught like that when Jesus comes back. So Jesus gave us a cheat sheet of what, what we were going to be judged on. You know, actually what we were going to be measured by. But many of us have not seen scripture written like that. 
So Matthew 25, we're going to look at that passage today. It contains three stories. And in these three stories, it represents areas of judgment that God is going to hold us to that is going to be the measuring stick for what we didn't do. It says in each of these passages, it says, describing the kingdom of heaven, it is like this. So he's talking about heaven. He's talking about this is what it's going to be like. I liken this to the kingdom. Anytime he says that in scripture, he's talking about, hey, this is kind of how you apply it on the earth, but this is how it's going to apply to heaven. So if we look at this passage, there's actually three different stories that are told here, and they can all be summarized with the word stewardship. So we understand being a steward of something means taking care of something for a certain amount of time, but realizing it's not really yours. Now, a lot of us live lives like we want and like we desire because we think our lives are our own rather than God's. And I can do whatever I want. Life is a gift from God. I'm going to live it to the fullest. Well, when you do that and you don't realize that your life is not your own and the cost of following Christ was actually sacrificing everything that you have and are and will do for the sake of following Christ, that that was the requirement, your life is not really your own. Now, don't get it twisted. Christianity is a blast. I think, I think the world initially when they see it, like, well, that doesn't sound like no fun. I've never been a Christian and been bored. I've had so much fun being a Christian. There's been so many opportunities and there's so many things that God has taken us on a journey on. It has been anything but boring. If anything, sometimes it seems more reckless. God asking us to do something that doesn't make sense. God asking us to leave a great job for a job that pays less, that financially seems like ignorance, but yet God has a master plan and if we follow him, we'll never be disappointed. So we have to understand the big picture of a stewardship, of a steward of being a steward of what God has given us, that everything he's given me for a short time and then he's going to come back and see what I have done with what he's given me and that is what I will be measured by. You got it? He's going to come back and he's going to say, hey, this is what I've instructed you to do. What have you done with what I've instructed you to do? So we have to realize that in this story, there was five wise and five uh, foolish uh, virgins. So some kept their faith Some were ready, some were not. There were two smart stewards that were given talents according to their ability, and there was one foolish. You know, and then there was others who just really did not help those in need, and then there was those that helped others in need. So the bottom line of this passage, you know, when we look at it in its entirety, is that you and I are to be stewards. So we're going to look at these these three ways that we can be good stewards of everything that God has given us. So the first thing that we're required to be stewards of is first and foremost a steward of your faith. How are you stewarding your faith? You know, so do you, do, you, do you steward what you believe? Do you support what you believe when, the, when, it gets, when you get pressured by the world? Do you say, oh, well, never mind. I just go to church sometimes. And you don't really support what, what you believe to be true. Right? So we look at this story that there was five wise virgins and there was five foolish. So, you know, the five people that were wise were ready for the return. They took the extra oil. They were prepared. They were ready. They were running for the long haul. It wasn't just a short... You know, you think of if you ever went camping or you've ever done something and you've ever forgot something of utmost importance, right? It would be like going camping for two weeks and you brought one pair of underwear. It's going to be a horrible... You were not prepared for the journey ahead. Now, some of you say, well, that's dumb. Why would you forget that? I don't know why the virgins forgot the oil. They knew that they were going to be waiting. They knew the the lamp required oil to burn. And however long it takes for the master to come back, would I be ready and prepared? It can be they were that they were just as foolish, yet the ones that prepared had plenty 
for the master's return. Even the other one said, hey, can we have some of yours? But they knew that if they gave what they have to others rather than holding fast to what they had, they would not have enough and they would miss out. So stewarding our faith, we have to realize that in life, your faith will take some blows. What do I mean by that? Your experience, your, your job, people just... Maybe there's even family members that think you're not cool for being a Christian. I don't understand why you're a Christian. Why do you go to church every Sunday? Don't you know you could have went to the movies and had way more fun? Or what, whatever the accusation is, that your life is going to go through hard experiences. Even by those that you love and maybe even trust. Don't lose your faith. Steward it well. Sometimes your faith will take some lies. I was talking to an individual that went to college, and she said, Pastor Noah, you don't understand. Like, he's making me challenge my faith. He's telling me all of these things that are contrary to Scripture. I don't know if they're true. I don't know if they're fake. And, you know, at the end of it, she came back and said, man, that guy was a Christian. He was just testing me to see what I really believed. So we have to realize that, but there are doctrines and there are thoughts, you know, so our faith will sometimes take on lies. Will we believe everything that we hear as a biblical truth and allow our faith to be swayed by the doctrines of the world versus the doctrines of Scripture? There's going to be lies wrapped up that the enemy, you know, even Satan, when he tempted even, he didn't tell her a blatant lie because she would have known that, but she, he always gives a partial truth packaged in a lie. But if we take the bait, it will lead us down that same road of deception, destruction, and death. But we have to hold to that faith. We have to steward that faith. We have to say, no, this is what God's word says. No, this is what God has commanded. This is what I've known to be true my whole life. We have to realize that sometimes um, your faith takes some time. You know, And you know, sometimes in time, living the Christian walk for a lifetime is a lot harder than living it for the weekend after youth camp. Now, if you've ever been there, you know that. You come off excited, full of zeal. You've had an experience with the Lord, and you're super excited. Now, some of us experience that youth camp syndrome every single week. We're super excited on Sunday, and Monday, we lost it. Go to work dragging your head. Rather than super excited about getting the privilege of going to work and sharing the love of Christ with somebody, sharing what you've received and giving it to a dying world. But we have to realize that, that time can sometimes be weary on you. But you have to hold to that faith. So do you have enough oil in your lamp to survive the test of time? Time has a way of wearing you down. But you must work hard to keep your faith. It requires renewal. Hebrews 4.14, it says, Therefore, since we have been given a high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, it says, Let us hold firm to the faith we profess. Who holds firm to that? It says, let us hold firm to that. We have to fight for it. We have to remind ourselves the moment we receive a lie or we believe a lie or we say a lie, we say, no, 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 that's not what Scripture says. We have to fight for this thing and hold on to it the best we can. But we realize that the key to keeping faith is keeping the lamp burning. So we have to also realize that in this illustration, the oil and oil, like even at the church, it always symbolizes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be the only thing that will allow us to continually burn for a lifetime. If there's not fresh oil, it will quit burning. There has to be fresh oil deposited. Well, we have to realize the Holy Spirit is without supply. He can supply as much as we need. We just have to keep filling our lamps. Okay? So I'm going to give you quick three things that we can do to keep our faith Be good stewards of your faith. First and foremost, remember that God is faithful to you. So that doesn't mean necessarily what he's doing right now, but look back on your life. Have you seen the faithfulness of God? 
If you don't see it, ask God to show you or look a little deeper because you should see the handiwork of his faithfulness all over your life. Even if it was just salvation, that's some faithfulness there. Right? So remember God's faithfulness. Secondly, stay in your word. If you're not reading your word, you're not going to be encouraged. Well, Pastor Noe, what do I read? I don't care what you read. Start in the New Testament. Look at a proverb. Look at the Psalms. Play Bible Russian roulette if you need to. Just be like, all right, it's in red. must be Jesus. And read it. Doesn't matter what it is. Get, on, get in the word. And you say, Pastor Noe, my job's rough and it's hard and you don't understand the people are. Read your word. There'll be something in there that will, be, that will help you. Number three, stay connected to on-fire people. Be around people that are excited about the things of God. If you're, you know, if you're around the, the Debbie Downers, just like, oh, man, they're just always discouraged. And, you know, uh, we used to have a guy that I worked, I mean, he was always discouraged. Always, man, it's it like the rain cloud. Followed him around everywhere he went. Every day is a doomsday. Oh, poor. And, you know, but by the words of his mouth, I believe he created that. And it's like, you see him coming with his cloud, you run the other way. You stay away. But get around people that are on fire for God. Because you know what? I'm not always going to be on fire, but maybe Morgan is. And if he's on fire and I know I get close to him, what happens if one stick is on fire and me is a dry stick, even with a little bit of moisture? If I get next to that fire, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to light back up. So that's what it's all about. We've got to stay around people that are on fire for God. We can't do it by ourselves. So that is how we, we are stewards of our faith. So we've got to be stewards of our faith. Number two, stewards of our gifts. Okay? So how do you use your gifts, your talents, your skills, your ability? Do you know many people don't even realize what those gifts and callings are in their life? Maybe they believe the lie that God has just not gifted me anywhere. He hasn't given me anything significant. Well, Pastor Noah, you get to preach. But I'm, I'm not built to preach. Well, if you're not built to preach, great. You'll do us all a favor by not preaching. But whatever it is that you are gifted to do, figure out what it is and do it. I know some of y'all are struggling. Y'all look tired in here, and I'm doing the best I can. But what I'm saying is we got to do what we're called to do. We have to be good stewards of those gifts. Why would I be given a gift and not use it? You know, it'd be like my mom getting me a big old gift at Christmas. And I'm like, yes, I'm so excited. But I leave it in the package, and I never open it. And it just stays there year-round. Would we ever do that? That's dumb, right? But we do that with gifts that God gives us. He gives us the gift. And you know what? He'll even tear that wrapping paper a little bit so we can see what the gift is. And if that doesn't entice you to be like, oh, let's get into this. Let's see what it really does. You, he shows you what that gift is. He built that gift. He got that gift for you. And yet we leave it under the tree year round. The tree gets put up. The lights get put up and the gift remains. We never use that gift. So in this, in this same story, there's a story, a parable of that, that, that there was one person given five bags of silver, one person given two bags of silver, and one person given one bag of silver. And it says that the master went away for a long time, and he came, but he was going to come back, and they would be required to give an account. But realize, one got five, one got two, one got one. Now, the first thing we do, we're like, well, why'd that guy give five? Why'd that guy get two? God only gave me one. I got gypped. But notice in that passage, he says he gave to each of them according to their ability. Oh, I didn't catch that, Pastor. No, I was just playing. If God thinks I can handle one, then I'll be faithful with one. If God thinks I can manage two, then I'll be faithful with two. 
Or if he gives me five, God, give me grace and show me how to be faithful with five. But we see in this, in this scripture that, you know, one, you know, takes that five, he multiplies it, and he gains five more, which is ten. The one that has two, he multiplies it, now he has four. The one that had one was fearful of who God was. Jesus, in this illustration, it says that he actually took it and he hid it. And then when he came back, he says, well, I heard you're a hard man. You know, where you're reaping where you do not sow and all of these things. And he says, well, you should have at least taken it. Put it in the bank. It would have gained some interest and it would have done something. So he actually takes from the one that had one and gave it to the one that had five. Now, this is like crazy because you're like, man, like, this is the God we serve. This is the Jesus. And this is the Jesus with the whip right here. He's taken from that one little. But he did nothing with the gift. And he says, away from me, you, you doer of evil. Like there's a lot of different translations, you know. And you didn't use what I had. But he said for each of the other ones, he, they multiplied. And he says, now you will, be give, you will be given much. So they were faithful. Now, I don't know, you know, maybe five even felt maybe insignificant. It was just a perspective. Now, because a lot of us say, Lord, give me a great gift and I'll produce great results. But some of us are not being faithful with that one simple gift that he gave us, so why would God give us more gifting? Perhaps it's a test. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's stewardship. So we realize that he gives us each according to our abilities. So we also have to understand that the judgment is not bad. It's just based on what you have been given. He's not going to say, all right, David, I'm judging you today, right? Well, Pastor Noe didn't do this and this, or he did do this, so what about you, David? He's not going to do that. He's going to say, David, this is what I've given you. It doesn't matter what I've done. We are so busy looking left and right that we're not looking at ourselves. Well, this guy, or you're seeing the blessing because of the faithfulness of the one. Well, this guy has two, Lord, and you're mad about the two, but you didn't know he had to be faithful with the one before he got the two. You're judging other people's works and other people's actions, and you are not even focused on what God has given you. Some of you want the five, but you can't be faithful with the one. Pastor Noe, I'm leaving this church. You're making me mad this morning. I don't want you to be gypped because you could be going through a season of faithfulness, of stewardship, and God wants to multiply all the provision under heaven to you, but you've got to be faithful with what you've got. You've got to use your gifts. Well, Pastor Noe, you've been preaching about using these gift things like this whole year. It's because Jesus was concerned about it. He said, use these gifts. You're going to be judged according to your gifts. You're going to have to be a stewardship of these gifts. So realize, he went on a long trip. Jesus had been gone for a long time. But he could return at any moment. We don't know when that return will happen. And there's going to be a day of an accounting when he shows up and you have to give an account for what you did. You have to realize that. We have to realize that Father God has put many, many things in your hands. He's put natural of talents. He's put natural abilities. You know, one of the greatest gifts, you know, the, we need to see all of these gifts in our lives as bags of silver. It's not just like a check that Jesus writes us and says, hey, you know, here's 500, here's 50, or here's five. I think we look at the bags of silver as just a financial thing, but we need to look at things as not just necessarily financial Right, But we need to see sometimes some of the greatest gifts, those precious bags of silver that God gives us can be family, can be friends, they can be our children. So these are bags of silver in our life. Will I steward my children as bags of silver? Will I invest in them with my God-given potential, with everything within me? And not just say, oh man, they're just getting on my nerves. Or You don't understand my life, Pastor Noe. Like, no, I understand your life. I got three kids. Now one day I won't have three kids. 
And I might forget. I mean, I feel like parents say, hey, I can barely remember. I'm in. I don't know how you forget the season I'm in, but I feel like I understand the struggle. But seeing each child as a gift from God, seeing them as a bag of silver of unlimited potential. So, Pastor Noe, God gave me a not-so-rounded bag of silver. God knew what he was doing. You just need to see what he's doing and cooperate with that, okay? He's picked you as their parents. Mom and dad, you're both in it. It's not a mom raising the kids. It's a family raising the kids. But we need to see that as a gift from God. One of the greatest bags of silver that he has ever given us, he's put the gospel in our hands. He's given us a, a bag of the gospel. Will we share the gospel with others? Or will that bag never be opened? The greatest gift, guys. It'll change people's lives. It is the greatest gift. It is the greatest bag of silver that God has given us. So we have to realize in this example, there were two smart stewards. There was one dumb one. And each one got what they got according to what they had done. Why are you so worried about getting more if you can't be faithful with what you already have? So we have to be a steward of our faith. We have to be a steward of our gifts. And thirdly, and lastly, we got to be stewards of love. So what, what do I mean by stewards of love? Um, there, there is a song by Keith Green. Keith Green was way before his time. He was writing songs and melodies, and you know that you know people thought it was chaotic, but some of his songs were so on point they were just way too early. So he wrote a song. It's called "The Sheep and the Goats." Okay, I'm not going to play it for you this morning. I'm going to save you all that. But go home and listen to this song, "The Sheep and the Goats," and, and that's that last part of this passage in Matthew 23. Is that what I said? 25. Matthew 25, that last part, it talks about the separating of the sheep from the goats and this, this understanding. So we realize in this song and in this parable, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is that one, they, they were all based on what they did or didn't do. That's it. It didn't say if they went to church or not. It didn't say if they were members of a church. It said what they did or didn't do. Now, if we look at this, one of the challenges is that when we look at this works-type idea is that we can get suckered into just doing works and not allowing grace and love to produce those works in our life. So I'm not saying it's just earning your way to heaven, but if our, if our hearts have been transformed by God, love for others should be somewhere in there. Now, I'm not saying liking them. I'm saying loving them. Like, that's something that only God's grace can give you. There's a lot of people I don't like, but there's a lot of people I love because I see beyond the surface. If God loves them, I'll love them too. So we'll look at this passage, Matthew 25, 31 through 36. And, and this is how it goes. The song will give you a lot of accompaniment, crazy piano player. Check it out. But it says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and, the, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his, in his presence, and he will separate the people as, he separa as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for me. Uh, for you for the, from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. So look at this list of practical things. This ain't super spiritual things. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Pastor, no. You saying people I don't know you invite them in? That's what scripture says. All right. 
It says that um, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then on the other side of that, he says to the other ones, he says, away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So when we look at this list, this exhaustive, these are practical needs. These are not above and beyond. These, you know, this is practical things, big deal things, right? Hungry. Not like super plump sitting on the corner, living off the fat of the I'm talking like, you can tell I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm thirsty. My lips are cracking. I just, I've been in the sun. You know, like you, you think of this, this person, hungry and thirsty, sick and naked, a stranger. These are all action things, right? Basic need things. Now it does put us in a works mentality. But aren't we saved by grace, not works, Pastor Noe? But the grace of a changed life will produce works if the grace of God and the love of God is within you. If you're just as selfish as you've ever been, ask God to change your heart. You know, I think there's, there's seasons of where I want to give all the time and then sometimes I don't want to give. And then there's times my wife wants to give all the times. Like, I already gave them five times, right? So we've got to make sure our heart and our motive is right. You know, when our heart changes, it's not about having to give. It's actually something we desire to do. We look for needs. And, and I know there's been some people in the church, COVID's still been kind of in little spurts here and there. If you hear somebody has a need, call them up. Just drop food off. Meet their needs practically. If we can't do it for, for each other, how in the world are we going to expect to do it to the world? Of ones we don't love or we think are the stranger. You know, I'm always challenged whenever we have someone visit the church that doesn't meet the mold. Well, that you've seen, and every single time, it's like, Pastor Noe, have you seen this guy? Yeah, I've seen him. He's right there. And my wife comes, hey, have you seen this guy? We got kids in the back. I understand we got kids in the back. They're my kids too. But we get so knocked off kelter by the appearance and we don't look deeper at the soul and the heart. To save the lost, you think it will require some type of risk? Yeah. Could some of us potentially lose our life for the sake of the gospel? I know some that have. But we are in a Western culture that is about comfort and convenience, familiarity, but I believe that when we meet the needs and we meet the rule of what this passage is saying, it's a little radical. A stranger and I let you in? I don't know about that, Lord. I got kids and I got a family, right? You know, it, it really kind of shakes the way we think sometimes. But I think we can be led by the Spirit in all of those things. But if we stay connected to the Lord... We have to realize that his love will tangibly flow through us. We have to realize that the sheep were the ones that loved people. The goats were the ones that didn't love people. That was the dividing line. Well, you don't under... Uh -huh. I'm not the shepherd. I'm just sharing the passage with you. So Jesus will tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. The question we have to ask ourselves, though, is Jesus fit to judge so we have to realize that the Bible is really, really clear on two judgments. I'm going to try to move on. 
Um, so there is a judgment of all people, and this can be found in Revelations 20, 11 through 15, and then Matthew 16, 27. And then there is the judgment seat of Christ, which is found in Romans 14, 9 through 12, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Take a picture, write it down. If you want to go back, I'm not going to read all that. But we have to realize that judgment of all people is that separating the sheep from the goats. One is, one is entered in into the presence of the Lord, brought near to God, and another one is the sifting of the goats, which really is separation from Jesus. But in that judgment seat, that is where all those who are in Christ are judged according to what they have done. But you have to realize this is not going to be a... Here's what you did bad, here's what you did good. But it's going to be a weighing of what you did to impact the kingdom, the things that would last. I think there are so many things, guys, that if we realize of what we invest in or what we spend our money or our time in the kingdom, they're going to burn up. They're going to be of no kingdom value, okay? So we have to realize that you know this first judgment is a judgment of all people. It's the big party where the goats are pushed away and the sheep are brought in. So it's in the judgment seat of Christ where what we did, the motives will be weighed. It will be, we will be examined by what we did. And the question is, what will stand the test of the fire? Pastor Noah, what are you talking about this fire thing? You know, I, I know that this morning you, you may say, Pastor Noah, I don't know that if this message is supposed to encourage me or discourage me. This message is to do neither. It is to inform you this morning. To make you aware of what is coming. Pastor, no, you saying Jesus is coming back? Well, I know he's one day sooner than he was yesterday. That's all I know. I don't know when he's coming back. But when he comes back, I want people to be without excuse and not to be like, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry you picked this Sunday to visit because you've been informed. I'm not going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to say, Pastor, no, you never told him about the judgments? No, I told him about both of them. Right? We have to realize that what's going to happen is... He's going to illuminate those things that are important and those things that are not. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. It says, For no one can lay again any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation. Verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their works will be shown for what it is because the day, that is the judgment, that's what's going to come, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what, he has been, if what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. So it's not, this is not a matter of heaven or hell. This is a matter of what you have left at the end of your life, if it had any kingdom value. And it will, you'll get a reward based on what you did. I mean, you can, you can deal on, on earthly work all the time, but if you're not in the kingdom building business... There's going to be very little reward when you get to heaven because he weighs merit on kingdom things, right? But what does it say? If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet he'll be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. So it's like you're running out of the house that's on fire as fast as you can, and you escaped it. You didn't die. Man, but you were close. Because I believe that anybody who goes through this process of transformation, of knowing Christ more and more, is not just going to stay on the fringe of barely being saved by spiritual fire insurance getting out of hell. That's not the goal. It is to be saved, be transformed, and going on to doing all that God has called me to do. The things that I used to do to build earthly treasure is now going to be shifted, and I'm going to focus on kingdom treasure. 
things that matter the most, that when all these things are being burnt away, I see the kingdom investment in my life. Now, if you want to know a little more what that looks like or what those are specifically, we can look a little deeper, and I can talk to you after the service. But I want us to evaluate what we do because most of the things that we do have no kingdom value. They have earthly value. They have personal convenience. They have self-survival stamped on them rather than counting it all all lost for the sake of Christ. So the first judgment, you have to realize, is only passable by one way, and that's Jesus. We are allowed to hide in Jesus' punishment and, and be covered and secured by his blood. We're allowed that privilege. Then we have to realize as followers of Christ, all that's left is the reward at judgment, at the judgment seat for what we've done. So Jesus is actually the only one fit to judge. You have to realize that. He was perfect. He is perfect. He gives us the confidence and reassurance that that we will be judged fairly by him who took the punishment for our sins. So today you are without excuse. In preparation for heaven, let us all invest in what's most important. We have to realize, I'm closing. You guys stand up with me in case you're falling asleep out there. In closing, you have to know that judgment is coming. I would do you a disservice and an injustice to not tell you that judgment is not coming. So judgment is coming. Jesus is coming. And he has his reward in hand. Don't miss it. We have the opportunity to impact the world. He's given us every spiritual gift. He's given us an unshakable faith. And he can stir us up with an unconditional love for people that we will never turn the stranger away. Because of compassion and our heart towards those who maybe might not know Jesus. But Jesus will ensure your place in heaven. But rejection will result in separation from Jesus. Those who don't know him. For those who are in Christ, rewards will be based on what we've done here on earth. But only the things of eternal value will matter when they're tested by fire. What if we didn't have another day? Would we have anything significant that would matter in our lives? But Lord, you only gave me one bag of silver. It says foolish silver. Servant, foolish. But you've only given me two and I wanted five. That guy had five. doesn't matter what he gives it's a matter of what we use I know I've said a lot this morning I believe there was something that I said that hopefully struck a chord in your heart but today that the reality would be shaken I'm not judging you this morning but there will come a day that Jesus will judge the whole world Saved or sinner, it doesn't matter. He will judge all of us. But he's already paved the foundation with Jesus. And let's all make sure we use that bridge to get in. Because there's no other way. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you. Lord, that you can give us wisdom and revelation. And Father, you've given us so much in your word already. 
Father, that when we read what you've written and the words that you've spoken, that, Lord, we would not take them lightly as just a fairy tale or a story, Father, but words that have dire consequences if not obeyed. But, Father, that they would have kingdom reward for those who who do what you ask and what you demand. Father, this morning, Lord, I trust you to judge us fairly. But, Father, even today, that you would enlighten those things in our life, maybe that don't please you. Father, that we could deal with them right now, in this moment, in this place. Father, that we could start preparing for eternity. Because till we deal with some of those selfish motives or those selfish desires, Father, it's going to really be hard for us to be a part of kingdom work. So, Father, really, through the altar call, you've been talking about surrendering and yielding. And, Father, that you desire for rivers of living water to flow out of us. Father, whatever it takes in our lives for you to work and flow through us, that we would be those restored vessels, God, that you would do the work. Jesus, I thank you that we can trust you with our lives with our insecurities, with our flaws, with our failures. Father, even with the things that we're doing well, we can trust you in those things. Father, we love you. Couldn't do it without you. Father, it's going to be a celebration when you come back. But in the meantime... Father, help us to be faithful stewards of everything you've given us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If this morning you say, man, i got to get some stuff right. And you're concerned about the end. If Jesus came back right now, you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Give me five more minutes, Lord. And please get it right before you leave this place. You realize that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. That life is a gift. Only God knows how many times my heart will beat. But it says that today is the day of salvation. The road to Jesus is really easy. He's done all the work. All you'd have to do is trust in Him. That His blood was enough to cover everything that you've done. Maybe something you've done right now. And anything you will mess up in the future. Because you'll need that blood for a lifetime. It's not about being perfect, but it's all about being His. And at the end, when He separates the sheep from the goats, He's going to say, man, this one was mine. This one was mine. And I really believe that there is going to be a heartbreaking in the heart of God at how many He has to turn away from the kingdom. But it wasn't that He did not come to save and He did not come to reach out to you. He gave you the option to enter into His kingdom. But it was your choice. Man, is everybody saved in the room? If you say, I need Jesus today, and there's something stirring in me, and I I can't leave, Pastor Noe, there's some things i got to get right. Come to the altar right now. Got to be bold. Don't just play church. Playing church won't get you to heaven. Lord, I'm doing my part. 
Holy Spirit, you got to do your part. I pray for a move of your spirit in this place. Jim and Sharon, can you help me? Ken, can you pray right here with Chris? Anybody else? I'd rather wait here all day and y'all get mad at me for having church too long than miss a moment. pray a blessing over you guys and I'll release you okay the altar's still open Father I thank you for each one here under the sound of my voice Father I call them sons and I call them daughters Father that they might know the depths of your love and the plan and the purpose that you have for each of them for this lifetime not in the life to come Father, that we might be all that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that as we go from this place that we would just uh, sense a refreshing of your anointing and your oil burning in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just release that oil in our lives. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing, seen and unseen. And Father, I pray that we would just be kingdom builders here on the earth, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.